Hello and welcome to UCSD Cricket's very first cricket podcast. Today we're going to be talking about unpopular opinions of uh, me, Karan, Navya, Ariman, Gokul, and Aryan. Navya, would you like to uh, moderate the session? Right. So I have all the unpopular opinions with me here, but I'm going to start with Ariman and because the first thing that I said to him when I saw his unpopular opinions was that these are one of the most unpopular of unpopular opinions I've seen. So, Ariman, do you want to go ahead and tell your unpopular opinions? Yeah, okay. So, the one that I'm going to start with is that ODI cricket is the worst form of cricket. Um, because like, my, my reasoning here is that, <laughs> is, is that you've got test cricket, which has its its own core audience. You've got so many people who say test cricket is their favorite form of the game. At the same time, you've got T20 cricket, which is growing the game and is attracting casual viewers who love to tune in for, to the IPL and the World T20. But I'm, to this day, I've never met a cricket fan who says, I live for ODI cricket. I live for it. Is my favorite form of the game. Well, you don't you don't count, and neither does T10. So not counting T10, ODI cricket is the worst form of the game. Okay, I think I think ODI cricket is probably my favorite form of the game. <laughs> exactly, it is mine too. Okay, I, I have explain why at least I think that like why you think it's the worst. Okay, so the thing is that um, okay, T20 cricket has the pace and like it gets over in three hours so it fits into today's schedules um and it works for most people so it has its merits at the same time test cricket is for the patient people like it has its core audience like of people who truly love cricket but i don't i just don't see odi cricket having its own audience it's just but then you could also say the other way around other right form. you could also say that odi cricket is the mix of both the best of both worlds right i could yeah also that's say why that i think odi has a big audience i feel is because it's like the last 10 overs of any ODI are as close to T20 as you'll get. But yep. in the middle and the beginning, you can still see shows of good bowling or like, you know, that containing bowling that holds up an end, which you kind of see in tests about building pressure. So I think it's like the best of both worlds, you know, okay. get uh, both I, in one day. I, I, I would counter that by saying the middle 30 overs of an ODI innings over 10 to 40 are the most boring thing ever. Okay, in my okay. opinion, in my opinion, ODI cricket, yes. Sometimes like people won't watch it because like when you have a bilateral series, bilateral series, you have test T20s and ODIs. So ODIs is probably like I guess the least exciting for that. Um, but I feel ODI cricket is still, in my opinion, for me the best format is because of the hype that it that comes with it when it's World Cup. So like. Whenever you think of a Cricket World Cup, you don't think of, like, the Test Championship yet, or you don't think of, like, the T20 Championship. You think of, like, the one-day World Cup, right? Right. Okay, but then you look at... Okay, um, I don't have the exact figures on me right now, but the number of viewers that you get for a World T20 would probably beat the number of numbers you got for the ODI World Cup. Simply because of that many casual fans that tune in. But I still think the number of fans are also because the amount of countries, right? So, like, countries like, I don't know, Netherlands or Scotland, who probably don't have any vested interest in the ODI World Cup, will also have viewers tuning in. 
Although to be fair, okay. So one, the 2019 World Cup, the ODI World Cup, was the most viewed ICC event of all time, including T20 World Cup. So there is an audience for ODI cricket. So I don't think if if we're going to argue that ODI cricket is doesn't have the same kind of importance that Tests and T20s do, I don't think we can argue off of viewership because the viewership definitely is there. However, I do agree that bilateral ODIs are probably some of the most boring form of the game. But I would agree with Navia's earlier point that the early parts, and actually throughout the entirety of uh, an ODI, you will find moments of patience and moments of kind of frenetic, explosive batting and explosive bowling. So I yeah. think there is something to be said that having having both uh, tests and T20 kind of play styles in an ODI can make it quite a great format. If you if you also think about it, I don't know if this is just me, but for me, um, death overs in an ODI game are perhaps you need more skill as a batsman and as a bowler because it's much easier to go for 12 or 13 and over in a T20 for the last three or four overs rather than um, going for like 10 and over for like the last 10 overs, if you get what I mean. I also feel that, um, one, I'm just going to say that like the ODI Super League, just introducing that, I feel that's given more context to um, bilateral ODIs. So I think that does make it a little bit more viewer friendly that even like the dead rubber games at the end of a series are worth something. But just building on Aryan's point, I feel the last 10 overs of an ODI are much more intense than even T20s just because it's usually set batsmen. So I think in the depth of T20s, often we find batsmen having just being forced to come in and clear the boundary that usually doesn't work out so well. But you see the genius of maybe a batsman who's batting on 60 or 70 in the last 10 overs of an ODI finds a lot of areas of the ground that we don't traditionally see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I think Adam, we just... We disagree, but yeah, let's move on. Yeah, so Ivan, do you want to go for your next opinion? This is this oh, is also uh, a pretty fire one, though. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, gonna one save, is... I'm gonna save that one for later uh, after I, I trash on other people's after the like. The <laughs> oh, is the trashing on you too much for, for you right now? <laughs> right, right. So we'll go ahead and Gokul, do you want to present yours? Yeah, okay. So, what was my first opinion? Okay, my first opinion is that. The current bowling rotation plan that Australia has implemented is unsustainable and it's going to cause more damage to them in the future than it's helping them right now. So that's specifically saying not having any kind of spinner in place for Lion, especially in games where he's been kind of batted out of the game and batted out of several innings, and then especially not rotating Hazelwood, Cummins, and Stark, even when other bowlers are available, even if those three are doing fine, just not rotating them and not keeping them fresh is doing more damage to them now than it will help them. Are you I feel that's more a test to the, um, like what Langer's philosophy for a team is, right? Like, I think a lot of current players and a lot of players who are on the fringe always say that it's much harder to get into the Australian team than it is to get out of it. So even if I feel for like Lion, right, or even Stark, for example, who's been through like a massive form dip in the last few games, 
Langer believes in giving an extremely long rope to a lot of the players. So even though they seem washed, I don't think Langer really cares. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. I think that's going to hurt them. If you look at someone like Michael Nesser, who's traveled with Australia on multiple tours now and has yet to get a game, get his Sheffield Shield figures are really good and definitely warrant at least some kind of trial. And then you have... Or even James Pattinson. Pattinson even James yeah. Pattinson. I wasn't going to say Pattinson because he's played and he's not very young. But yeah, even Pattinson. And you have games where... I'm going to say Stark now because the Border Gavaskar Trophy is very recent, but where bowlers are kind of not fresh and they're not looking their fittest. And you have side bowlers on the lines. And I think that's if you, you know, injuries aside, I think that's kind of what helped India win in Australia was they had fresh bowlers, right? Siraj was there. Even, you know, right. even though some of those bowlers only came in because of injuries, they were fresh. They they didn't have you know the kind of weight of three tests on them. They didn't have the weight of two tests on them. So they were able to come in and deliver for India. So if you know you're looking at the kind of bowlers Australia has on the sidelines, not rotating out their bowlers and just kind of sticking with that trio is is I think a kind of foolish move. But the thing with that is that when you have um, a bowling quartet as good as Australia does. Um, I think there's very few teams that have that. Maybe India at their full strength. Okay, so if you look at India at their full strength in a test match, you've got Bumrah, Ishant, probably Shami, and Ashwin as the four. Now, assuming the four of them were fit throughout the Australia series, they would have played all matches. Now, whether them getting injured is a blessing in disguise or not, we might never know. But the Australian, Australian bowlers did not get injured. And I, I, I'm like, it seems like that's a positive because I, if I have Mitchell Stark, um, uh, Hazelwood, and Cummins in my team, I wouldn't want, uh, I, 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 possibly the three best fast bowlers you can have in a team. I wouldn't want to be rotating them out. Yeah, if they're all fit. I think that does affect their performance in other formats, though. I feel, um, like I agree with Gokul. I actually, I'm, I'm on Gokul's side for this one because. We've seen Stark lose that edge that he has in ODIs and T20s. In both World Cups, 2015 and 2019, he was probably the best white ball bowler that was there. And I think we've seen after he's been reintroduced to tests, uh, like in the Ashes, we've seen that it's not really gone well from in white ball. Like He doesn't have that edge, which he does, which I think is pressure of being playing all the tests that Australia have that type of pressure is starting to like tell even on someone like Cummins and Hazelwood, like they're still good in limited overs, but you're, I think we're starting to see signs of the, um, like them, their bodies aging much far, faster than yeah. they would if they got refreshed yep. or rested. Yeah. Also, like yeah, I, I, would, so I would say like Stark is like as, as good of a bowler he is, he does show a lot of inconsistency sometimes. Like when he's bowling good, like he's like he looks the best. And when he when he doesn't, then it's just kind of sad to see him like leak for runs. If, yeah. Going back to Ariman's point about you know if you have the kind of trio that Australia and I think I think that's partially why they don't rotate them out is they're so you know in in awe of the kind of talent they have. You know, Cummins like despite the Border Gavaskar Trophy being a rough series for Australia. Cummins came out with like amazing figures on his bowling side. He was, he was incredible for Australia. 21 wickets, I think. Yeah, yeah. and at a, 22. Yeah, yeah. Top, 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 top,
even you know if you look at the kind of stress the other bowlers went through even if you had you know for india even if you had ishan bumi uh, uh, ishan Bumra, shami and ashwin if one of those guys had been batted out of a game like lion or shark was i think india would have come and been like okay you know what let's rotate them out for one game at least and then they can come back into the side mm-hmm. i think yeah. even india would have done that even for that kind of a quartet and i think australia not doing that is going it is hurting them to be honest i and i feel I, england are doing that right mm-hmm. or navi no, go first yeah. yeah yeah so i was talking about how uh, like local is extremely right about how they've not been switching out nathan lyon and that's not giving um, chances to the young So like Adam Zappa has not had many games in like tests and ODIs. He's not had good figures. So he's like um, Langer is not giving enough opportunities to get Nathan Lyon out, even though he's played a lot of games and I agree he's good. But then, I mean, Zappa could have played at least one game in those tests, right? Karen, you want to you say something? Yeah, I was just saying that I think England have found the balance in mm-hmm. like rotating bowlers. Yeah. Because it seems like whenever their bowlers do come into it, they're really fresh and ready to go, especially with bubble life as it is now in uh, with COVID. Like we saw Ollie Stone, someone like Ollie Stone, who did spend a lot of time like on the sidelines, but when he came into the game on surfaces that didn't really um, help him out much, he really came and had that impact. Like he just came in, hit the ground running and just bowled 90 miles per hour, really sharp everything. So I feel... that rotation does have its place because after a while your your body can only go so hard it's no matter how fit you are so i feel they've done really well with yeah. that england at least and australia do have the talent on the side i don't know if nathan lyon they have a direct replacement for him because there's a lot of there's some decent leggies in the circuit like swepson and zampa but i don't think they have a genuine offie who can offie, yeah. like replace lyon but with pacers yeah definitely they have like uh, gokul is saying Michael Neeser now they have James Pattinson Jai Richardson has looked really yeah. good so they have There's a lot Agar of options I feel like so Australia he has played he has, he has played but he's not in the he current has thing I, that's the thing I don't think Zampa but yeah that like, like who currently brought up is Swepson he's probably the most significant spinner in the Australian first class circuit and he has not gotten any kind of chance and you know like maybe you know you're playing against India you want to play your best player and Ryan has been Australia's greatest spinner since Warren. So maybe that kind of played into it, but I think Swepson could have gotten a game there definitely. Yeah. Um Yeah, definitely. So I think on this one we are with Google. So Google do you want to present mm-hmm. your next one? <laughs> um no, I'll actually wait till the next guy goes. So we'll, we'll, we can do like a round two of everyone's. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So now we have Karen Uh, Karen, uh, so Karen, do you want to present yours? Your first one is also like... <laughs> yeah, so I'll start with the IPL one. I think oh, okay, okay. Uh, th- there should be uh, a mandate for every IPL team to pick one associate player and field them in their 11s for the games. Because I feel that the development, like when Afghanistan was still not a full member, we saw players like Rashid Khan and uh, Mujib still get picked up. And I feel... they've learned so much from playing in these leagues like when Rashid came in he was like didn't know bat much so he was known for just swinging his bat had some innovative shots but he wasn't much of an all-rounder and even Mujib could not hold a bat apparently when he came to play but Mujib has now been reverse scooping like Australian fast bowlers and Rashid is 
hitting 50s at the death for teams, right? So I feel it's just development of spending, watching greats of your time play and just sharing a dressing room with them is so much for them to learn and they can take that to their countries and teach the similar things. And it will close the gap that we see in uh, cricket with a lot of the leading associates fail to make the uh, step up to um, the rest of the full members. I feel that will really help close that gap and maybe make World Cups more competitive as well. Okay, so uh, I, I agree with that in part. I, I agree with the part. Okay, well, I, I think that mandating that each team should have at least one one player from an associate nation is not too radical. But then mandating that they need to be fielded, I feel is a bit too extreme. Because at the end of the day, the 11 that you field has to be a decision from the coaching staff, um, depending on the conditions and and their best 11 to win that game. Um, there have been times when IPL teams have fielded um, less than their four overseas players also because that was the best 11 in those conditions. So I don't think that there should be a mandate on what nationality a player should be to be fielded. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't think that mandating that a team needs to have an over, an associate player is, is too radical a decision. I, I completely agree. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think there is something to be said about maybe not fielding them, but like Karan said, just being in that dressing room is going to be so valuable. And honestly, some of these international players or associate players specifically are such high quality that you are going to field them anyway. Like some people like Paul Sterling or, yeah, before, you know, before Afghanistan became a full-fledged test team, some of their players were all these kind of great, great players that were just kind of unable to get that kind of international status. So I think someone someone like Lachimane or uh, some of the other players who have played in other leagues around the world, they kind of have that experience of playing franchise T20 cricket and they have the skills and talent necessary to, to play that at that level. So I think definitely kind of, you know, encouraging IPL teams to look, hey, don't look just at, you know, other test teams, but look at the other smaller nations, countries that are associates of the ICC and look at their players because some of them are really high quality. I think there's something that's that's definitely a positive that could come out. Yeah, I, I, I think what they can actually do is that, okay, um, encourage them to purchase those associate players um, and, and then and then say that if they're being fielded, they will not count in the four overseas players that are being fielded. Yeah, that was my yeah, point. It was four overseas plus yeah, one. Uh, then, then I think that's okay. And also I think the only team that's going to be happy with this is Sunrisers Hyderabad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, um, so now we have uh, Aryan. Aryan, do you want to present yours? You only have one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ahead. okay, so my unpopular opinion is something concerned with um, a lot of controversy surrounding the India English England Test series, and um, my opinion is that India were well within their rights to prepare a pitch like they did for the second and the third Test. Like there, it shouldn't, like there shouldn't be any that much of an exaggerated criticism on their decision on the quality of pitch that they made. Because at the end of the day, you're playing test cricket, you're not going to have sort of like the pitch that is fair to both the sides. You know, when you're coming, when an international team like England is coming to play in India, you are going to, you should be expecting 
some sort of like challenge on a pitch. You cannot sort of say like, oh, well, like how Joe Root said, if I got a fifer on this pitch, then that it, that just sums up the quality of the pitch. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold it up, hold it up. Um, first of all, first of all, I, I disagree with the premise of that being unpopular. Um, yeah. sec- it's only- I think it is unpopular, dude. There's there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. No, no, okay, yeah. fine. I get that. But um, I would actually argue that it was an unfair pitch because Test Match is five-day cricket. Whenever you have cricket the last three days or four days you know like it's not the true like you would rather have a five-day test match like in 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 the gaba than you would what we have than you would a two-day test match in Ahmedabad. i just think that it's it's not it's not it's the pitch needs to be one that can sell tickets in five days and i think something i think a big criticism was you can go um, No, something to use, uh, Aryan said was the second test and the third test. I would argue that the second test was like a perfect Indian pitch, you know. It didn't, like, India still was able to score runs off of it. It gave them the kind of advantage. It it, it didn't, like, you know, England was also able to play off of it for a couple of players. But it wasn't a pitch that just completely, you know, dominated the game more than the actual players. But the third test specifically, I think there is an argument to be said about it not being maybe unfair but unfit for test cricket so india had every right to prepare that for a match a home match because you know it's their home but whether it was was that a test level pitch i think there's something to be said that maybe it wasn't maybe not for this test and uh, i just wanted to add in that i think uh, an argument that Coley had brought up uh, with regards to the pitch was that 21 of or the 30 wickets that fell were to straight balls but yeah. if the highlights package is only going to show that tw- those 21 balls but it doesn't show those same the balls that went in the fun. same area and were viciously turning because i remember i i, I was watching this game right and Uxter patel got the new ball after ishan then bumrah and it was the 10th over of an innings of day one and Oxford's second or third ball just landed on off stump and spun sharply. It was the tenth over of a first day match for pink ball too, which was like, and the track had seemed pretty okay. And then after that, if the some balls are turning, some balls are not. And India has some of the best players to spin in the world, and yet they still got bowled out for 140, which shows that I don't think uh, the assessment that it was just bad batting comes into play because. When it's that much difference between um, balls landing in the same area, I think it, there's something like Arvind say it's five-day cricket. It's not like you're trying to bat on a minefield and say who can just outlast yeah. the other team. That's not testing. Um, yeah. Um, also, I watched like this um, video of Ward, Hussein, Key, and Atherton. I think this was like a Sky Sports special. And um, what I saw was like, and I really like this point Hussein brought up. Um, is that India knew India knows that their spinners are better than English spinners, right? So if they prepare like a spin, like a complete like spin uh, dust bowl, they know that Ashwin and Akshar can perform much better than Leach or Bess or in that case Root, right? If, if let's say England came with a squad with like Panesar and um, Swan, right? India definitely wouldn't have done that because they know that Swan and Panasar can give that head-to-head combat with Ashwin and Naksar. 
same thing if Australia came with Lion. And I think that sort of happened last time Australia came. They prepared like a dust bowl and that completely backfired because Lion knows how to bowl on, like, because Lion is a good spin bowler. He can bowl on a spin friendly track. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a good point. Um, yeah. And, yeah and, and another unspoken tragedy of this test match <laughs> is that Ishan Sharma didn't have a role to play in his Yeah. Yeah. In his 100 match, he only took, I think, one wicket. I mean, he, he hit a six, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he hit a six, his first six. Legendary. Legendary. Well, I also, I was reading something at ESPN Quick Info. I think it was George Dobell. And he said that the pitch for this match was a backhanded compliment to uh, England for winning the first test. I think that's a point that has to be brought up. It said Australia, uh, India have only lost, I think, twice, including the Chennai loss, in the last nine years or something, mm. right, at home. And the only other time they lost was something similar when they prepared a dust bowl and it backfired on them with uh, when O'Keefe took 12 wickets in the game and Smith hit his hundreds. But I don't think India ever expects to lose at home. So that came that stung probably for them, yeah. right? And I think it's just to make sure that they return back to winning ways they've just resorted to, as I think Aryan said, that they have better spinners than England does. And just for that case, just bowl. And with England spinner, at least you'll get a couple of loose balls that you can score off of with India spinner, not as much. So I think it's also yeah. part of like who, who lost. It was England, right? England probably has one of, you know, in test cricket, maybe New Zealand. I'm not really familiar with their first class system, but... English, the English county system is not friendly to spinners. I mean, counties that produce spin-friendly pitches get docked. And if you look at who wins or who are the top two teams consistently, Somerset is always up there and they have the spinners. They have both uh, Dom Best and Jack Leach in their squad. So those guys have the spinners. Other counties don't. English batsmen don't come out of the county system knowing how to play spin. So when they come to India and lose like this, I mean, they lost the second test, something can be said there, but when they lose like this, I think it's more pronounced than if, you know, Australia had come and lost or if uh, another continent team had come and lost. I think the fact that uh, England is already not a friendly place for spinners has just like exacerbated this kind of thing, kind of situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was really I was looking at Rohit Sharma's um, post-match um, interview, and he what he said was that England is um, England is has been preparing like seaming wickets and swinging wickets for as long as one can remember, and so has Australia. They have like all the bouncy stuff. So why isn't why is India in the wrong when we're preparing spinning wickets, right? If it's their fault that they're not like variating their pitches and not preparing their own batsmen mm. to be able to um like be play on each conditions right play on each kind of pitch right so yeah. i don't think but i think even on those pitches though you see like even in england or in new zealand for example where the ball yeah. seems turned a lot days two and three are still pretty conducive to yeah. batting there's like it's it times where the ball doesn't do as much and it gets easier to bat so there should be some sort of balance between bat and ball no one's saying india is unfair for drawing up that type of pitch like it's completely in their right to do so but when you look at what test cricket really is it's the ultimate balance between bat and ball where both parties both mm-hmm. bowlers and batters have to fight hard for runs right. and wickets on this pitch it seemed like bowlers were just even if you bowl a bad ball 
there was it was not you couldn't put it away because it was either turning too much or the batsmen didn't know what was going on because the pitch was doing all t- sorts of things. So that was like heavily skewed. Even Ashwin said in favor of the bowlers. So I don't think that's at least a fit for test match. I think Gokul said this earlier that there's a difference between unfair and unfit yeah. for test cricket. And I think this fits in the unfit category. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. I think I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So I think we're done with this round. So let's go back to Ariman and let's go back to his most unpopular of unpopular opinions again. Do you want to present your second one? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I have a feeling you guys are going to agree with this one. Um, so my opinion here is that the IPL needs to do away with mini auctions. Um, my first reason for this is that they, they heavily skew the prices. You have very few players available and you have all the teams wanting those very few players. Now, why did this happen? It's because franchises don't release their successful players. Look at the Mumbai Indians. They just had possibly the best T20 team you could ever ask for. They're not going to release anyone. So there's going to be no one on the market for the other teams. If they are going to do, a, do an auction, it has to be a mega one where a team can only retain what, three to five players. It cannot be more than that. Um, for non-mega auctioneers, I think they need to figure something out because it's not fair that a Chris Morris is making nearly two times what a Jasprit Bumrah would make, uh, and it, and a, a Jai Richardson that never played in the IPL before is making what, what a good three four crores more than what AB de Villiers makes. So it really skews the price, and I don't think they should do mini auctions. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, agree with that. that. To be honest, <laughs> I didn't think that's that unpopular because I feel like you also the quality of players in the auctions reduces. Like the amount of fastball capped fastballers in this action was close yeah. to none. So I feel that even if teams want to improve a department, like a lot of teams were looking at fast bowlers and spinners, all the bowlers that could have possibly helped their cause are already on teams. So it really leaves a lot to be wanted for a lot of the teams. So. But then this I wouldn't agree. improve anything, right? So if a team has bad players in one season, a mini auction would probably help them, right? Because they can let go of some players and maybe find some quality in some other players, right? So, so it's, only, it's only going to help them if other teams also release their players. So what I think instead of doing mini auctions, they need to cap off the, the retention that a team can make in non-mega auction years to, I think, about 15. So that we still have 10 players getting released by each team. Like, imagine 10 players from Mumbai Indians, even if it's the bottom 10. You're going to want, like, their reserve 10 players. They're that good. I think, that is true. I, the current system is just too skewed. It needs to be less skewed. Right. Okay, yeah. I think that, that one makes more sense. But getting away with the mini auctions completely doesn't make sense to me. Because then that would really fuck the bottom team. Like Kings Eleven would then just die. Hey, it's called Punjab Punjab Kings now. Punjab Kings. But I guess like in I feel that's where they tried the trade thing, right? They tried some trading system where they're like if a player is not played amount of games traded, oh, yeah. but I still feel that doesn't work because what Mumbai won't release their like backup players because they don't want other yeah, teams. The, the trade thing is them. weird because yeah, exactly. No, no team wants to buff up another team, and if there is anyone sitting on the bench at that point in the tournament, they're probably not going to be playing that much more. You know? Would you say? Would you say like a good system mm-hmm. would be something like you have to put them in the trade pool? Uh. No, I, I, okay. What what I think should be done is that um, 
okay, or what actually can happen in the future is that players like Jasprit Bumrah or Hardik Pandey are going to look at the price in the mini auction and in a non-mega auction tell their franchises they want to be released simply because they know what happens in a mini auction. So once their the players within a franchise start 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 thinking that way, then I think franchises are going to struggle to hold on to their players. So I don't think that. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess in this one-off case, it's okay, right? Because you had IPO so close to the end of the year, and then you have one almost coming up. So, but I feel uh, Arden, like when Armin talked about mini auction, he's talking about like most of the auctions till date have been mini auctions, because like even the one before this, like a lot of the, it was a, the same set of players yeah. pretty much mm. as this year. But yeah, I think argument. Argument. Maybe I offer a little bit of more moderate solution. Is that if a player has not played at least three games in the in the um, tournament, he has to be released. That might be like a rule that teams can look at because if a player, a good player, is on the bench, he can probably. Ha- it makes the competition more even. Like if Mumbai Indians is boarding fast bowlers, like they have. Before they had like Cole Turnile, Pattinson, Bolt, Bumrah, they're hold- just holding a whole like uh, arsenal of them. It can at least even out the teams a little bit. Also, it, no could get, it, right? it could get interesting like, in terms of strategy too. Like Mumbai has to play this player or else he'll get released. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Three times. I, I, exactly. I feel like all teams except Mumbai would actually agree with this. <laughs> no, I don't think SRH would agree to this. Like SRH has Mumbai so many reasons. Maybe not Hyderabad. Um, but I think, like, largely more teams would also do find that Punjab would need this. Delhi, well, they would be in the middle. CSK or so Delhi won't. Are you, are you saying inexplicitly that RCB is a bad side reserve price? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. RCB has a star studded 11, but they don't have players to uh, turn right. to if their Indian players don't do it. Well. That's on the fact of the matter. Now. As an are RCB supporter, I'm saying team? this. Okay. <laughs> Right. It's so also I think interesting. Go. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say kind of also a part of the problem I've seen. I've seen. You know, I I haven't followed the IPL for super long now, but kind of problem I see with the mini auction is because it's only a mini auction. Certain teams are only looking for a specific rule, and they'll pass over anyone with that rule. So you have really good T Twenty franchise winning players like you know. Um, a Roy or a Hales or or even you know Milan going for by base price. Some of that stuff is kind of like crazy to think about, and some of those players do definitely deserve IPL contracts. But it's just they've got you know the kind of unlucky bit of the draw where it's a mini auction and teams aren't looking for their kind of player. So it's just kind of a yeah. I think we all kind of agree with this one on Ariman, right? Thank you. <laughs> yep, I think so. Yeah, in some way or the other, we kind of agree with it. We agree that there's going to be some changes, right? So, okay, let's let's continue the second round. And Gokul, do you want to present your second one? Yes. Okay. So, this one might be a little tougher to agree with, but um, in terms of ICC tournament qualification, I think that if you're not in the top four of the rankings of you know whether it's T Twenty or ODIs. If you're not within the top four, you don't get automatic qualification and you have to play qualifiers like with associate teams. I think 
for the first several years, that's going to just be big teams beating up minnows. I think there's nothing, there's nothing you can do to avoid that. At the same time, I think once that period ends, you're going to have associate teams really on the rise because they're repeatedly coming into contact with top eight teams. They're repeatedly coming into contact with that level of player, that level of strategy, that level of team, and they themselves will improve as a result. And we'll start to see associate teams kind of coming into the crop of possibly playing in a, uh, a world tournament. I agree with that to some extent. I think, uh, if I don't know if you guys follow the Soccer World Cup, but um, in the FIFA World Cup, they have something where it's like they have groups. I think there's something similar to the 2011 Cricket yeah. World Cup also. But I think, so I like that idea of having, but I think the uh, it should just be a World Cup with more teams because I feel T20 is a format where if one player gets yes. going, he can take the game away from it. It doesn't matter if it's from like someone like England or if it's yeah. someone from like Papua New Guinea who just gets going, right? So I think there's a lot less margin for error, like for by even big teams, right? So just expanding the pool, uh, because World T20s are going to happen much more often now, you can just expand the pool of players to just include groups. And it, yeah, in the first, like Google said, in the first World T20 year or two, it might just be pretty straightforward results, right? But if they're playing each other every uh, year or every two years, we'll start to see teams like uh, Netherlands or Nepal really put up a fight against some of the good teams. And yeah. maybe I mean, yeah, on, on, honestly, I would, I would change my again. opinion to agree with that. I'm just coming off the idea that I don't think the ICC is any does have any intention, uh, sorry, has any intention of increasing the pool of uh, teams considering they've reduced the ODI size from, I think, 15. So yeah, I'm just coming off yeah. that idea. But yeah, I, in an ideal world, I think having more teams in a World Cup would be the smarter option. But as of right now, I think if you don't make top four, you should be playing qualifiers. I guess. How many is it now? 12 teams? Is it what for the 2021 and 2022? Uh, yeah, How many it's teams 12 teams. And then, um, but if you're also the, the, you know, if you're coming from the qualifiers, you have to play the extra round of eliminations before you go into the Super 8s. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So it's like, I think, 8 Something plus like 8, that, yeah. right? So 16 total. I guess the easiest way for that would be through the T20 format for now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I think this is the for format that they're using this year, although I'm going to have to verify, um, is where you have you start off with groups of four and the top two teams qualify. If that's what they're doing, then I think this is the right way to go because that's when upsets can happen instead of having, like, a, a World Cup 2019 sort of format. Right. So, and I don't remember which World Cup it was though, but there was one in Bangladesh in uh, 2014, I think. But that one had a lot of different countries too. And I think we saw a lot of upsets. Like we saw, um, I think Netherlands chased 190 and 14 overs to like book a spot. Or we saw a lot of like interesting things that we wouldn't see happen in, if, if it was just yeah. eight teams. I mean, so, Cup, so if we go, if we look at the current uh, upcoming ICC tournament, which is the 2021 uh, Men's T20 World Cup. The qualification scenario for that one is the top uh, nine ranked full members directly qualify for the tournament. They don't have to go to qualifiers. And the reason that kind of stings for me a little bit is I don't think, if you look at results, if you look at how teams have played, it's hard for me to accept that it's a, a team like you know Sri Lanka or Bangladesh really is deserving of just automatic qualification. I think teams like Ireland, especially Scotland, Netherlands, 
they have the possibility of upsetting some of the bigger teams, right? And I think if you're not, definitely. if you're consistently not making that cutoff, you definitely should be bonked down a peg, and you should be playing associate teams. We did see Ireland beat England. Was that ODIs? That was. But yeah, like oh, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. make the ODIs. same sort of, ODIs. I guess, argument for that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Ireland is now Ireland, Scotland. They've also beaten England. Ireland beat West Indies in a T20, I believe, last year. So these teams are on the rise, and I think, you know, making them play extra qualifiers or at least accepting other teams that aren't playing as well, but that's because they're full members. And so plus, in the future, it can get really good for like viewership, right? Like if exactly, yeah. and like five, five, maybe like it'll take a while. Like I'm guessing five, five, six years or something. But let's say if like one of the World Cups, you have like Ireland or like even like let's say like let's go the, all the way down to Japan. If Japan beats Australia in a in a match in the World Cup or something, then yeah. everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, Japan, Japan, Japan!" And then that is sort of gonna help grow the audience for Associate Nations as well. Yeah, I, I remember um, this happened in ODI, but I think it's still relevant. There was the Asia Cup in I think 2018, where Hong Kong were like some 200 for no loss or something against India. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chasing 280 against <laughs> India. Exactly. Although, yeah, but like, although, like, that wasn't a full strength India, but that's still, it, yeah, was, was it? That was a full strength India. That was a full strength India. Yeah, it was just no Bumrah, but it was Bhuvneshwar, Jadeja, um, Ishami. It was oh, like, a, it was a pretty, yeah. it was almost And see, like, those are the games you sort of remember. And like, the next time I'll see Hong Kong, I will sort of try to follow that, at least on a scorecard level. Exactly, yeah. Hmm. Right. Although yeah, I think maybe not that controversial. <laughs> although I think for the Ireland thing, if Ireland does play well, England is just going to take up their players. So I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so let's keep this moving. And Karen, do you want to present your second one? Yeah, I think uh, my second one is player related. It's that um, Aaron Finch <laughs> is done in T20 cricket. I think. Um, <laughs> Uh, another another so, RCB player. Another I think T20 cricket. Another <laughs> past RCB player. Don't bring them up again. But I think I think T20 cricket has evolved. A lot of the bowlers have gotten smarter, and um, there's a lot of analysis done in terms of like preparing to play like a certain team, right? So I think Aaron Finch has long been like people know that he's weak against the moving ball. And it hasn't troubled him as much in um, ODIs, which I still think he can be a really good force in ODIs because the tempo, like if he can play out, get through the first three or four ball overs of the game where the ball moves, he is set to go. But in T20, he doesn't have that sort of time. And I feel that bowlers are bowling a lot straighter to him. They figured him out. And he really looks like he's struggling, be it Big Bash, IPL, International. It doesn't seem like he has that X factor anymore. And if there's no one to replace him, I th- don't think there'd be an argument, but Australia is flowing with top-order talent. So I don't think he's a long-term option for T20s at least, but um, ODIs, he's still a big part, I believe, but yeah, T20s, um, I think he's good. As an RCB fan, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> no right in T20 game. Uh, but having said that, I think yeah, he's going to play the World Cup for sure. I think after that, Australia have to, have to look past and They do have other players but they just need to find the captain. I, I would agree. And I think 
you know, if we look back on what Finch has done for Australia, I would argue he's done more to shape Australian cricketing culture post-2018 more than, I think, Tim Payne. I mean, that's not a shot against Tim Payne, but I think Finch has been an excellent captain for them. But, yeah, in terms of batting form, I he, he's definitely on a decline, and I don't see that decline, you know, at his age, at the kind of other players that are there. I don't see him really coming back to his old form. And I think even as a captain, right, he's, I think he's probably after Morgan, the best white ball captain there is. But I think uh, the assistant coach, uh, McDonald of Australia, he said that like opening the batsman is, a, uh, opening the batting is a massive position in T20s, right? So even if he's a great captain, you can't have someone up there because you can lose, win and lose the game in the first six overs of a T20 often. And if someone's there, put like weighing the odds severely against you you need to work right i kind of i kind of agree with this so i was looking at uh t20 um the t20 series between india and australia in in like just recent past and so in the first match iron finch opened and he got a 35 in the second two matches in like in the last two matches he got out for a duck while matthew wade made 80 and 50. while opening you know what and even in the New Zealand series that's going on right now, he hasn't scored at all. BBL, no scores. That, 12 low scores in a row. IPL also. All was scores. missing when RCB needed it. <laughs> like, he didn't even get that. Yeah. I mean, the only sort of similar batsman I can kind of think of is probably Shikhar Dhawan. Like, he also had a sort of drop of form. And then you have someone like Rahul who can replace him in T20s. And then now Rahul is like the mainstay in T20 batting. Uh, Shikhar Dhawan isn't that bad. I know. Like, yeah. I know he's not that bad, <laughs> but you can make that sort of similar <laughs> comparison. I think Finch, the only reason he's still in the team is, I think for a similar reason like Dhawan is, Finch is capable of hitting the big hundreds. I think that's why he's such an important part of the ODI side. And why they're probably keeping faith in him in the T20 side is someone like that yeah. one also. When they score 100, they make it big. It's not like a simple like 101 or 102. Finch, Finch even in T20 has shown he's a 156 and he has a 172 not out. So he has shown that he can make the bowlers pay when he uh, like does get in. But I don't know how long a rope you can give players like that. If you're going to perform once in every 25 innings in the T20, I don't think... That's enough. You need someone who can perform at max once and every 10. It's probably the longest rope I'd give him. He did, did go unfold in the auction. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool, cool. Right. Uh, so I think we're done with our unpopular opinions. And I think I'm the only one who hasn't said any. So I'm just going to say one just because I want to. So yeah. the only unpopular opinion I had <laughs> is I think. We should have the IPL in India and Sri Lanka so that we can have Pakistani players in the IPL. Oh. Oh, oh. no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the best proposal I've heard. Like, at least the most interesting. This is the first time I've heard that. I don't buy into it. Okay. So, are you saying that the reason Pakistani players aren't allowed is because IPL is solely in India? Yeah. That is. Yeah, Yeah, I think that is. That is probably, right? Because of the. 
They can't get visas. They can't get visas. Even, That's yep, the main exactly. reason. That's why even for the World T20, the PCB chairman is complaining that like you, they can't guarantee yeah. us visas. Which is why so it happens in both the, India, uh, Bangladesh, and be moved. We just had an entire IPL in the UAE. <laughs> That's not gonna like. I, I don't think visas is the major issue here. Even if the IPL happens somewhere else, I. I also like. I, I think it's more no, political so thing. Than... What, what I want is that it should happen like more locally, right? So what happened is that when you get Pakistani players, you would have more teams and therefore you'll have more matches, right? So you could have like maybe uh, maybe a double-digit tournament. So like each team plays the other team twice. And so you have more matches and then you can have like matches in, for teams which are not playing Pakistani players in India. So that would have like 10 matches in India and then maybe five in Sri Lanka and five in Bangladesh or something like that. I don't think there's place on the international yeah. calendar though for that many That's games. True. They're already having trouble yeah. fitting. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think, I didn't think that through, but like this is kind of just something I want to, you know, unpopular. Yeah, let's, let's be honest here. How many Pakistani players do you think would have actually made it to an IPL? <laughs> Shaheen definitely. Hafiz. Yep. Shaheen Babur for sure. Yeah. I think Hafiz in this sort of form is easy. Creating that whole issue for two or three players. Even Shadab, I think. Like Afghanistan has that many players. I mean, yeah. Like you have to go all the way if you if you're gonna implement that sort of thing. I mean, but you can't really expect, you can't, you know, like, okay, very few countries besides, you know, besides Australia and England really have that many players. Even New Zealand, for all the talent they have, only have so many players in the IPL. So expecting, you know, tons of Pakistanis to be suddenly accepted. <laughs> but I think, I mean, you know, polit- political things aside, I, having... Pakistani talent and the IPL would be an exciting prospect. Yeah, oh, uh, I just don't definitely. see it happening soon. Hopefully. Oh, no, no, definitely not. But do you agree with it? But do you agree with it? But do you agree with it? I don't want to have the IPL in Sri Lanka. <laughs> I wanted to have it in Swami. So if the visa thing can happen, then good. If it can't, then it's fine the way it is. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Wait, so yeah. does that mean... Does that mean... I mean, Pakistan will still play the World T20s, right? Yeah, I mean, they'll, yeah. that happened last time. They'll get visas, definitely. But... They're, no, they're trying to because they're not guaranteed. No one has said anything to the PCB that, okay, your players are allowed to come. Because as of now, in the, unless they get like, some special government clearance, ah, the Pakistan team like cannot travel. At least for definitely. the T20 World Cup, they'll definitely permit it. Last I time mean, they came, I'm pretty sure. But that's the thing that they haven't. That's what like that's what the problem mm. is now is that the World Cup is so close and the PCB has still not received anything. That they had to like bring it up with the ICC and even the BCCI has yeah. told not told ICC anything I mean, about allowing Pakistan in because they, it's not like they can't just say we are going to yeah, let them in. It has to go through like, a lot of clearance. Like, first, if, so. if it's coming down to not giving them visas and then, then India doesn't have the right to host the World Cup when the Olympics or when the FIFA World Cup and happened in Seoul. North Korea was allowed, weren't they? They were given visas. Like, yeah. I don't 
we can be the just yeah exactly yeah i mean fine that's honestly probably part of it is just i mean i don't want to go into politics right now but <laughs> yeah anyway all right yeah <laughs> probably yeah. better to skip politics right this. um i think those are all the unpopular opinions we have today yeah, good keeping guys good keeping good keeping so so thank you for listening to good keeping uh, UCSD Cricket's very own podcast, and we'll be back next week with yes. more very exciting content.